Hey guys, what's up? It is week 105. I got a bunch of reviews for you. Not that big of an update, tiny, tiny little update, but uh, I guess we're going to hop right into it and start off uh, with a bang. This one is from Intervision. Um, Intervision, I always say Inter. Uh, and Severn Films, this is Mask Mutilator. This is a movie from 1994, shot on 16mm, but it was never completed until this year so uh that's crazy that's always really interesting when these movies are never completed so it's always something that nobody really possibly could have seen so it's a new movie but it's an old movie at the same time that seems to be happening a lot more people discovering old films and finishing them so the mask mutilator <laughs> this is a weird one guys uh it has a kind of a framing uh device this framing story in here where it's in a talk show this stuff's all shot recently um and uh there's these couple talking on there about uh how the the male he was in um you know a kind of a, a foster home one of these big kind of foster home for troubled uh you know kids that uh, you know did some violence so they're all kind of thrown together it's always a great setup for a horror movie they do that quite often because you get all these kind of weirdos in one area or people that have troubled past so you don't know who's going to be the killer it could be anybody is it the kid who was beaten at home is it the girl who was molested i don't know it's somebody it could be anybody is it the guy running the house so these guys are actually uh they, they go into detail and he starts to tell the story and the person who ran this house was an ex-wrestler with a, a, a very violent history think think uh what was the revolting blob from billy madison similar to that but just way more mean-spirited so he's this kind of really tough as nails mean as hell kind of guy and he's kind of abusing the children um he's actually played by a wrestler and in comes this uh sort of guy from this college guy who has this psychological approach to it and uh, he's also a real big guy so you're like what's he's also played by a wrestler also the film's director also uh popped up in stuff like class of newcomb high part two and three was it two subhumanoid meltdown uh, so yeah he plays in those movies uh and the rest is just a bunch of uh you know 20 something playing like 16 year olds getting killed by the by somebody the mask mutilator so the killer wears the old wrestler's mask so points all signs point to this guy um this movie is not acted the best, I'm going to be honest. There's some a lot of patchy acting, but when you find out uh, in the background, you're like, oh, they pretty much had one take to do everything. It's 16mm, it's super low budget. But these certain wrestlers in here, they do have a certain charisma, and some of the actors do as well. Uh, what this film has going for it the most, to be brutally honest, is this, the fights. They're choreographed of... Um, great uh they have some wrestling they have some martial arts in here and that's the highlight of the movie i was kind of surprised because it's it's obviously a low budget movie the the gore you know people are looking for gore it's bloody and violent but it's not particularly gory uh if that makes any sense to anybody you know the kills are strangulations people just getting blood here and there but the fight stuff is really well thought out you have different styles going against it wrestling style and uh you know i guess uh i don't want to i want to don't want to call what karate because i don't know what necessarily uh karate it is taekwondo or just karate so i'm not necessarily sure but uh one of the characters one of the kids obviously you know knows how to fight all these kids know how to fight but uh you, you think they make it obvious that it's one person but you know it can't be that person so they make it obvious it's someone else but then there's kind of a twist at the end where you're like what uh it's entertaining it's uh it never really gets boring and what is up with all these movies where they have a group of people in a house that are supposedly damaged or crazy and there's got to be one nymphomaniac think don't look in the basement it's like how are we going to get nudity in this movie we'll make one of them a nympho that will do that will take care of it they'll take off their, there we go so there is some sex scenes 
in here. The score is actually way better than expected. It's uh, they, I think it's uh, the the what is it? The producer talks about getting it done and uh, how it was you know something that made took the movie to the next step. I enjoyed seeing that. Uh, there's interviews with some of the people on here, uh, the lead actor. That was nice to see. And it kind of cuts a promo with me, Gene Oakland. Um, there's some auditions on the disc. Uh, unfortunately, one of the um, uh, film reels was lost, so there's some splicing of like a one-inch tape in here. It is a little jarring at times, but it's forgivable because this is a lost movie. And that, that film ain't coming back, guys, so... And uh, no one ever even thought they were ever going to get the Mask Mutilator, let alone <laughs> on Blu-ray. No one even knew it existed. So this movie was pretty entertaining. It does have its shortcomings. You know, it's budget, it's acting. But uh, I like the setup. I like that they actually use these wrestlers. And uh, it's a wrestler slasher kind of kind of deal. And I know there's been some like it, but I don't think there's quite anything like this one. Uh, if you want to read a review, it's over at the Screaming Toilet page. I wrote one for it. Uh, you know, I like what Intervision does and i like what severin does and they did a pretty good job on this one even though the movie's crazy but uh, a lot of the chewing of the scenery and stuff i enjoyed and the in a flashback sequence there's a very very young james DeBello. so yeah keep your eyes open for that the mask mutilator back in 1994 a group home in morgan county pennsylvania was described in newspaper stories as the home of horror. So, Brian, is it correct that the group home parent was a former pro wrestler? That's right. He went by the name The Masked Mutilator. I don't have to take your crap. Yeah, you do, pal, because I'm the man in charge here. Anybody ever tell you what he did before he came here? No. Killed some clown in the wrestling ring. Snapped his neck right in two. And you saw it all. Yes. If I were you, I wouldn't mess with Macy. He'll waste you. Want some company? I like the way you think. I ain't staying in here, man. Okay, this next one is from uh, Arrow Films, and this is a great one. This is uh, Yakuza Law, and this is by the same director who did the crazy movies Orgies of Edo and Horrors of uh, Malform Man. I, I prefer Orgies of Edo over uh, Horrors of Malform Man, but I prefer Yakuza Law over both of them. It's an anthology. It's Japanese, obviously, um, and it is one of these crazy movies that has torture in it. In fact... I was very interested in the fact that this was an anthology all kind of involving Yakuza law and torture. And it opens up with this torture montage, a lot of really graphic stuff, so people being burned alive. Some of the stuff's in the movie, a lot of it isn't. And it was kind of surprising. I was like, this is intense. I was like, oh my God. Um, so it starts off in three different, I guess, dynasties of Japan or three different time periods. And uh, the first one starts off the strongest, I, I think, and it is probably the best one. I love this one. We have this kind of uh, Yakuza leader, and he is brutal. He is sadistic. Um, the opening has these people fighting in a battle and, uh, they win, but a couple of them are kind of cowardice. One wipes blood on his sword and makes it damage his sword, makes it look like he killed dozens. He's a very disrespectful, disgusting character. Another chickens out. And, uh, instead of him being tortured, somebody speaks up and says, it was me who did it. Even though they, they lie because they feel like they owe this person something. He, um, 
cuts off his finger and you realize he's sticking up for them because he feels he owes them and his master or his like sub master is looking out for him as well and the yakuza leader is so brutal and so damaging he starts to push these guys to a breaking point and they all have committed these kind of past crimes either it's stealing which they tell you is basically in the beginning these things are three laws you cannot do these things you cannot sleep with someone else's woman you cannot steal from the yakuza so a couple of these people have done this they are tortured but that's not enough so they decide to stand up in a somewhat way and uh, go against them and this is one of these I don't want to spoil too much I've already spoiled too much but it's one of these wonderful movies this one this short in here or this story that you think oh it's going to go to that way it's just going to be a bunch of torture and you're not going to see any vindication but this one gives you tons of vindication I never felt so vindicated this kind of story Uh, people gouging out their own eyes and then saying I have done what I, I told you I'd do and I don't know you anything now i was just like yes that is so awesome and then just getting the revenge this one is my favorite story of the bunch uh it's a revenge story it's justice it's uh brutal and sad but also just really great uh the second story falls uh this one feels more modern i think they go in order they get more modern but this guy uh he takes a fall uh he's told to do something and he's kind of backstabbed and he serves a bunch of prison time and then he's supposed to be excommunicated from this area but he is in love with a woman um and this woman is sort of dating his kind of arch nemesis or the this guy hates him because he doesn't know he was set up to do something and uh you know so it's complicated but the real enemy is the person who set him up and they both hate this guy so it turns out a kind of a love triangle story but this guy who is released from prison is just great at everything and he's pretty much goddamn unstoppable and he, they get their revenge that's the story of this one very satisfying again uh bad guys you want to stab uh you know sleazy at points and, and you know there's some sexual you know stuff in here with uh the bad yakuza's taking uh, the leader yakuza's taking advantage of women and whatnot but uh this one is also very satisfactory or i mean it's satisfying i don't want to say satisfactory that's like a negative great but this is very very satisfying um the final story takes place in the actual more so people would think yakuza like the gangsters and this one is insane and over the top in the beginning they have a guy hanging from a helicopter and they're torturing him everybody's looking for gold and there's double crossing and there's this weird kind of action james bond star who's shooting uh everything perfectly well but there's double cross there's intrigue and it's just bonkers and crazy and a little hard to follow at times because you don't know who like what is going on energy Entertaining, nonetheless. Uh, my least favorite of three. They go in order. It's just like amazing, great, good. But uh, it's very, very watchable, very entertaining, and very unique movie. I would highly recommend checking this one out. There is uh, appreciation on here. Then there's a newly uh, cut uh, interview with the director. It's like 44 minutes long talking about this, but it's all like cut up from other stuff, I believe. So uh, it's a nice release of a cool movie that I never really heard much about. I know this director did other stuff, um, and there's a whole bunch of these kind of movies of like with a lot of torture in them, like uh, Joys of Torture and uh, one of the other ones. There's a bunch, but I, I can't remember all the titles. I think I, I, I've never been able to find decent copies in America for a good price. Uh, Shogun Sadism, I think, is another one. So, yeah, I, I really like Arrow to release these two because I'd love to check these out. Love to be able to easily accept, uh, you know, accessible and uh, a decent price. But, yeah, this one's great. Yakuza Law, I'd highly recommend checking it out. And check out Orgies of Edo as well. <laughs> Hey 
here is uh, the ritualistic, very, very famous pinky cutting scenes, Yubitsume, it's called. Okay, the next is a Patreon pick from Derek Bourgeois. Happy birthday, Derek. It's his uh, birthday month. It just passed uh, a couple weeks ago, but uh, he wanted me to cover one for his birthday, his all-time favorite movie, made in 1986, the same year as born, same year I was born, uh, Mona Lisa by Neil Jordan, starring the legendary Bob Hoskins. It also stars Michael Caine. Okay, this is, uh, you know, I would call this the British hardcore meets Taxi Driver. While watching this, I was like, this is a lot like hardcore with uh, George C. Scott and a lot like Taxi Driver. Two great movies, and this one is a pretty damn good movie as well. Uh, Bob Hoskins is this kind of low-level kind of buffoon criminal who's released from prison. His family wants nothing. His wife wants nothing to do with him, his ex-wife. His daughter still wants to see him. He has a friend uh, in Robbie Coltrane, uh, kind of a weird guy who's always buying these strange things and trying to make a buck out of them. They're always having these conversations about novels and books and the stories they're coming up with that are honestly, you know, basically, you know, what's happening in their life but told a little different. Bob Hoskins is owed... Uh, a favor by Michael Caine because he did so much of time for Michael Caine. So Michael Caine sets him up to be a driver for a high-class prostitute. And, of course, um, this is a movie um, where there's a lot of racism and things like that, where Bob Hoskins, you know, the whole neighborhood's gone more uh, African-American. Not African-American. They're in Britain, you dummy. But it's gone more uh, black. And he's not... He doesn't enjoy it. He doesn't like it. He's obviously a racist person, you know, kind of a undereducated um, guy. And he starts to drive this high class prostitute around. And there's some funny moments where he comes. He, she tells him that he. She tells him to buy some clothes that look presentable. He comes in this like weird jacket with a Hawaiian shirt, and he's like, "I'm cheap." Oh, that's why I told you I was cheap. And he thinks he looks good. And uh, he's just uh, a force to be reckoned with. It reminds me of his uh, role, kind of, as a very much more low class than uh, Long Friday, um, which is a great movie with Bob Hoskins, a British gangster flick. Um, so. He turns in a great performance, and of course there starts to be some sort of relationship between the two, and Bob Hoskins starts to fall for him. But she um, wants Bob Hoskins to find her friend that she uh, fell deep into the prostitution world, and she has a uh, violent pimp. So Bob Hoskins starts to dig deeper and starts to get involved with that. But Michael Caine's also involved with it, his boss, and they're trying to figure out. Michael Caine sets up these high-class businessmen with these high-class prostitutes so that he can spy on them and get dirt on them to get political favors. So... It starts to get complicated, and Bob Hoskins starts to get involved in some things he shouldn't have uh, been involved with. And he is, uh, you know, not the brightest guy, so he's kind of being used to a certain extent. I think his acting is tremendous. I think the musical choices are interesting. I think it's directed very well, and it doesn't end how you would think it ends. The violence isn't exactly, um, you know, the person you think doing it and uh, happening it happened to them isn't the person you expect exactly. Robbie Coltrane is just a very, uh, very super likable character. You love him in this movie, and uh, it's. 
it's an interesting movie. I'd like to see this one again. I uh, thought it was great, the relationship between uh, Bob Hoskins and his daughter and how it kind of plays into what he does for this uh, prostitute as well because he sees prostitutes out there his daughter's age. And and uh, it's just kind of a, you know a great portrayal of a character and uh, a great character. Lots of grayness in this movie, but uh, Arrow cleaned it up. It looks great. It sounded really good, and I was really impressed with it. Thanks, Derek. I know it's one of your favorites, and I would uh, gladly watch it again. It's good stuff. Mona Lisa, Mona Lisa, men have named you. You're so like the lady with the mystic smile. She is mysterious. Unattainable. He is decent. Ordinary. The business is different, but the rules are still the same. Dependent upon each other. You should notice these things. The little things. They are different. In every way. Did anybody ever teach you manners? Do you want to work for me? No! Now tell me I'm fired. All right, you're fired. Lovely. I'm fired and you're street walking. A woman. It's lovely. And a man. Yeah. It's lovely. For something. They're so young. Things can happen out there. If you last a year and a half on that street, you're looking. I was looking. I'm going out. Looking for someone. I can't go down. But you could. You? What you do? Drive! George! If Anderson finds you, cut your face off. Drive! What's you? You don't need anybody, do you? I do. Need you. Something better. Well, what do you mean? Better? I mean, dirty, nasty, slimy, kicking. She moved it. Bob Hoskins, Kathy Tyson, Michael Kane, Mona Lisa. Sometimes love is a strange and wicked game. The next one here is a Patreon pick by Matt Brown, and this is kind of an interesting flick for sure. This is Grim Love, and uh, this is based on the uh, true story of the two Germans, uh, the one who wanted to be eaten and the one who wanted to eat someone, and they met up, and uh, it happened. Uh, the movie Cannibal by Unearthed Films by Marion Doro was also the same story, and that one I never finished. It was really dark. I brought it over to watch with some friends. I just grabbed some. They picked that one. We watched about 25 minutes, and I said, this is not a group movie, and we were all like... <laughs> This is not a group movie at all. So uh, we decided to watch something else at the time, and I never came back to it. But uh, this one, Grim Love, it's not as dirty or as extreme as Cannibal, but it's still a very dark subject matter. This follows the story of an uh, uh, American. I see the, the whole plot, this kind of whole setup is they decided to do this because they didn't think that the... 
American audience would engage as much if it was told by the story of the two German characters, or did they want to kind of do a framing device because that story Cannibal had already been told? I'm not necessarily sure their motives or if this really did happen as well. But we have this uh, graduate student who's looking into psychology and is very interested in this case because a man ate another man and they both wanted it to happen. So she starts to look into, she's in Germany and she starts to get dig deeper and deeper and we start to see flashes of these two uh, characters' childhoods and their psychology and what happened in their poor lives and one had problem, mommy issues, the mother never liked her son because he was a homosexual possibly and that's how he sees it and she committed suicide so he always feels that he is constantly you know, needs to pay for his sin or pay for his transgressions. And the other one, he uh, has this strange thing where, you know, his mother was overbearing and he has a Norman Bates thing going on and he always constantly is picked on and he always had this imaginary friend, which reminds me of, you know, uh, Headless because the character in Headless, the killer, and that always had this imaginary friend who was going around. So these two are just like the perfect combination for something like this to happen. Uh, they show them grow all the way up and how they met and how there's this whole underground world of cannibalism and fetishism and, uh, this weird homosexual subculture of weird kind of uh, oh, extreme, not extreme, not even bondage, just extreme bondage and them trying to meet. And it, it's pretty touching. I think the acting's top notch. Thomas Crenshin, I can't think of his name. He plays the serial killer in the Stenhall syndrome and some other things. He uh, plays the eater in this and he's tremendous in this. And both the, both the actors are tremendous in this. And it's strange, like I said, the framing device with the uh, girl looking into the story. She's okay. She does a good job and it starts to kind of devour her as well and and her fascination with the dark side and it's trying to ask the question is why are people fascinated why are we in general fascinated with this kind of dark subject matter and how dark is it and what and their dark sexual fantasies and whatnot and and then when it happens in the movie you realize that this really is more just a dark sexual fantasy the act of actually doing it is just more the act of doing it is what gets them off not actually doing it the thought of them doing it is what gets them off not actually doing it because it seems like there's some regret when it happens it's not particularly gory but it, the subject matter is very heavy and very disturbing this is a Fangoria Presents one or Fright Fest Fangoria Fright Fest I've not seen any of the other Fright Fest I don't think maybe one um, I think uh, the one in the gr uh, Hunger so this one was way better than I expected I thought Maybe it was going to be crummy. I thought the acting was top-notch. I thought it was interesting. I liked all the flashbacks. Um, I just had one question, like, why did they do that framing device? Maybe they just needed to tie the whole thing together and kind of do the questioning. But I enjoyed it. I thought it was really well made, uh, especially I was surprised. There's like 10 minutes of deleted scenes. And uh, the way it ends, I think that they should have tacked on the alternate, the extended ending because it kind of ties her character into the end, too. But I, I don't understand why they had her without kind of giving her her character closure and whatnot but i enjoyed the movie i thought it was pretty good and it was kind of a surprise that's grim love is it wrong to want to find someone who can see inside of you into the darkest corners of your heart and still love you on september 19th 1998 oliver hartwin first made contact via the internet with simon grombeck Ten days later, they met. Twelve hours later, Simon Grombeck was dead.
every evening, darkness came over the forest. Okay, the next one is another Patreon pick by um, Jason Willard, and it is Blood on the Sun, starring James Cagney. This is made in 1945, I believe, or 44. Uh, this is pretty ballsy for the time because, uh, you know, uh, this is right around the time that we're in war with Japan, or we're about to be. Uh, yeah, so James Cagney writes for this Japanese newspaper. Well, America, he's in Japan writing for this kind of American newspaper, and he uh, writes some articles that upset the Japanese government that makes him kind of a target. And uh, his friend, uh, one of his friends and his wife are murdered and they have this uh, information about the emperor, about them wanting to, you know, have a hostile takeover uh, of the world. So nobody wants to get that to get out. So Cagney becomes the focus of these guys. Um, what interests me in this movie, and I think what interests Jason Willard, besides the story, is is a captivating one. And Cagney has a, a great amount of screen presence. And also has uh, uh, Sylvia Sidney in here from Beetlejuice, God Told Me To, Mars Attack. She's a great actress, and it's kind of nice to see her pop up in this. And I was just talking about her, and then she's in this one as well, so that's cool. But uh, Cagney practices judo. He did his own stunts. It was one of his first roles where he kind of did that and actually has a very famous judo practitioner in here as well as one of the baddies that Cagney squares off with in one of the best scenes in the movie. Really great fight stuff and Cagney did his own stunts so that's great. I know Cagney from White Heat uh, uh, Cody, uh, what was his name um, on top of the world, you know so it was nice to see him uh, kind of as a good guy. So there's a lot of you know political intrigue going on and there's a love story and there's a lot of uh, I guess you'd call it yellow face. Is that, that even the term seems like you're going to get yelled at if you say it, but you know, definitely a lot of Americans dressed up as uh, Japanese and Chinese people in this movie. So there's a lot of stuff going on with the Chinese government and the Japanese government and the newspapers and who you know sold out who and where do the people stand. And there's some intrigue and stuff. And they're actually Toho is actually in this movie as a bad guy, which is crazy to me. Um, so it's interesting, and I wish there was a better print of it because it was just standard def on a Fandor and Amazon, but. Uh, it's an interesting movie, especially where it places would be, you know, kind of the, the beginning of the martial arts genre is, I guess, what some people would call it. But it's interesting to me because the storyline and uh, it ends pretty great. I think that they should have went a little darker and I think that it would have been more, you know, impactful. I don't know if this is a true story at all. I mean, this character of uh, uh, Cagney's character is based on anyone at all. I'm not 100% sure, but he does a great job. And uh, there's some great fight scenes and there's some memorable villains and some funny moments and a good, like I said, a good, good chemistry between him and the lead lady. So I would check it out if you're interested in this kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, these old movies are not for everybody, but I enjoy watching them, you know, catching up on stuff that I should have watched. Um, but Blood on the Sun, good stuff.
But, gentlemen, I, I know nothing about this article being printed. I was out of town. Then let me read what is printed here in your paper. If Japan wants to control China, we must first crush the United States. Just as in the past, we have to fight in the Russo-Japanese War. But, gentlemen, you know the Chronicle has supported the government for 25 years. Uh, every government. It is late for explanations. This insult to Baron Tanaka and the Japanese people has caused great disturbance. You must know the penalty for disregard censorship. If my managing editor has violated any of the regulations, I'll fire him. Nick! Nick Condon! Somebody dig up Nick Condon! He's out. Something important. Said he wasn't to be disturbed. I don't care if he's interviewing the Emperor. Get him here right away. Get him on the phone, Kinchan. Okay, Mr. Sprague, but he's not going to like it. Get him anyway. Hodge Collins. Hello, Oshman. What's on your mind? Uh, Nick, I... Uh... There's a matter to discuss, if you please. Cute. It is an official matter of great importance. Oh, great. Come on in, we'll talk it over. Nick, will you please get... Oh, all right, all right. Uh, hand me that towel, will you? Hey, guys, what's up? This is the first segment in the, uh, what, 52 weeks of Hammer movies. We're going to cover 58 movies, and this is the first one. This is a double feature. The first six weeks will be double features because I wanted to get a couple in. But I guess we're going to call it Hammer Time. Is that what we're calling it? If I wasn't lazy, I would make a nice little introduction video with a bunch of clips from Hammer movies and MC Hammer music. But I am lazy, and it's just too obvious to do. Uh, that's my excuse. But this uh, first double feature will be uh, the Quatermass Experiment and X the Unknown. I went kind of in release order. So let's hop into the Quatermass Experiment. It was made in 19... Don't call it the Quatermass Experiment. It's not the Quatermass. It's the Quatermass Experiment. It was made in, I believe, 1955. And it's more of a science fiction instead of a Hammer horror movie. But it kind of like kick-started the whole Hammer horror beginning and then went into Hammer horror with like Horror of Dracula. But I think they kind of started a little bit more sci-fi. I think Jimmy Sangster did this one. He did a bunch of other Hammer ones, including uh, I think he did The Abominable Dr. Snowman, uh, which is another Hammer movie we'll be covering. Is that next week? I think it is next week. Yeah. Next okay. week is that and Quatermass 2. So yeah. if you guys want to check them out beforehand. 
Now, you're, I don't know, maybe you're a bigger sci-fi fan than me, maybe, probably, but uh, do you want to explain what this one's about? Yeah, so, um, Dr. Quartermaster... It's Quartermaster, don't do this. Yeah, okay. Um, he, um, he is a scientist, he sends a group into space, and they come back, and something kind of went wrong. Only one of them actually comes back. Yeah, only one. Two of them uh, have disappeared Supposedly, their suits are there. Nothing's there. Uh, the other guy who comes back is completely messed up. It kind of right. reminds me of like he looks and acts a little bit like the guy from Keltiki, the immortal monster who gets messed up, but he doesn't talk at all. He just is kind of like strung out, real lanky guy, mm-hmm. real creepy. And uh, his girlfriend or his wife is actually his wife. He's an astronaut. His girlfriend, his partner, <laughs> um, his wife is really concerned about him, and they're keeping him isolated because they know something's wrong. And they start to look at. They find the actual footage. Um, mm-hmm. Of what happened in the spacecraft, and you see something very strange happen. They said that he, no normal person could survive this compression. But what happened is, it's complete science fiction, and uh, part of the and the fun of this one is finding out actually what happened. It's like a mystery, almost uh, in a way a police procedural, but led by Quatermass himself, who is really weird, and he's like that type of character who is definitely like a G-man or something like that, but he's not necessarily, he talks kind of like, Dan Aykroyd would if he was impersonating one of these guys on SNL. Like, yeah, what's going on here? All right, mm-hmm. I see. What are we gonna do about it? The um the 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 movie itself um it doesn't seem this one and even the next one it don't seem British to me. Like when I was watching these, I thought that these were like American movies and just under like you know a. a British or UK label and so there's that and there's also this weird thing because Quatermass I believe was based off a story and it was made into a play a televised play and it was broken into three or four parts and one of the parts was lost forever so and then I think they redid it in the 80s so Quatermass has a kind of a weird history and it's strange that something that actually broadcasts on television is lost forever that, that kind of blows my mind. It's like, no one person recorded. They didn't have VCRs back then. It's like, man, that's so weird that a broadcast that was on TV is gone forever. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm not familiar with the play or anything like that, so I can't really comment on it. But this one I, I did enjoy, and it's more like that conceptual, like, huge idea of a science fiction movie. I don't understand why sci-fi movies like this aren't being made like this anymore. Like, the, like Ex Machina is like, it's just a rehashed story. They don't invent any new ideas and uh, there's going to be slight spoilers um, in this because I want to get into kind of the idea of what the monster is. And it's just mm-hmm. such a bizarre um, thing. What happened was the guy, the creature or whatever, the entity, was almost like uh, uh, it had no physical form. It was like a beam of light, wasn't it? It was like some sort of light, which is terrifying yeah. in itself. And it evaporated too and kind of morphed its cells into the other. And it turned the other guys into some sort of jelly, right? Mm-hmm. Inside the... No, that was the other one, wasn't it? No, it was. It did turn him into some sort it, of organic jelly. jelly yeah. Yes. And this guy, he's not right because his cells have been modded and this thing is in him. But pretty soon, he kind of goes around and he starts to um, assimilate with things. It's kind of like a blob thing, kind of hybrid, mm-hmm. where he's devouring everything he comes in contact with, absorbing it, but he's also assimilating to it. And then he's going to reproduce like the Kaltiki monster. So it's like all these like seeds. I'm not sure when the who goes there. The story was written probably before Equator Mass. 
But all these seeds to science fiction movies that would come later on, and it's really interesting. So he starts to absorb. At first, he gets mixed in with a cactus, and he starts... So everything right in the beginning is part human, part cactus. Mm-hmm. And his girl, his wife, gets him out, and uh, of course things go wrong. And when it starts to get real crazy when he decides to attack a zoo. So you guys use your imagination and realize these things will reproduce. So if this um, subject here started off as human and cactus, and then it branched off... After it met with a gorilla. And then the gorilla branched off and met with a bunch of ants. So then you have this weird hybrid where everything starts part human, part cactus, part ant, part gorilla. But then the next one didn't meet a gorilla. It met a a wasp. So it's part wasp and then it meets a dog. So part dog, wasp, human, cactus. And the idea Mm. is just like this could literally destroy the world when they reproduce like that. And there's a great shot. My favorite shot in the whole movie is when he's actually like the cactus man thing. Mm -hmm. And he's like, it it shows this nice little black and white shot. The whole movie's black and white. I shouldn't. But it's just the way it's lit and everything and you see like the weeds and the grass like moving and he's hiding in trees and he's like blending in because he's part cactus and you just see his eyes Mm -hmm. sitting there and i was like that's genius and terrifying at the same time like looking at all the animals everything else to say about it well uh, well i don't know what to say about it it doesn't it doesn't feel like a Hammer movie like I know a Hammer movie to no, be. No, it doesn't have Dracula or the Mummy or Frankenstein's right. Monster or any of that stuff. It doesn't have that gothic feel that we're so used to. Right. It doesn't have the slight Euro- European, maybe like sleazy kind of stuff at, later on in some of the Hammer stuff or the sexual vampire, like hints of le- lesbianism stuff. Right. But. Like I said, no, it, it really feels like an American 50s science fiction movie. Yes. It, yeah, I mean, if you were to tell him, I mean... If you were to show me, they don't even like sound UK when like half the cast is speaking. I think yeah. they might have used American actors. I'm not. Certain. I'm not 100 percent either. Exactly. We should probably looked into this yeah. a little better. But um, no. I mean, it's it's really good. It's definitely of its time. Of its time, and 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 it inspires a lot of things that come after it. I feel yeah. definitely. That's just the like, blob, the thing. More so, the next one inspires the blob big time. Oh, yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. And the end, they show the monster. You legitimately feel more bad for the monster than you mm-hmm. actually... Like, you don't want it to die. Like I said, it's. I told you, I was like, it's not evil. You're like, no, it's just fulfilling its, it's nature. Just, yeah, it's just doing its thing, you know? It's, yeah. it's, you don't get mad at the snake. Nature. You don't yeah. get mad at the snake for eating the rat. It's just right. what it does. It just, you know, except sometimes, you know, you got to protect your rats because it's your responsibility. That's about right. it. You know what I mean? It's a bad simile, but it's the same kind of deal. But anyways, I thought it was a really entertaining, interesting science fiction movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked it. I would recommend it. Uh, the feature There's some features on here. It has John Carpenter, which I like to see talk about the movie. Uh, he obviously is a fan of it. Uh, you can tell from his work on it. I, I would recommend checking it out, and it's a great way to start Hammer. And you could show this if you have like younger kids or something. You could probably show like a 10-year-old this movie, and they would be fine. It is scary, but, you know, it's just like it'll a- be tough. A double feature release, or no? This release I actually had. Uh, the Kino release has the John Carpenter on there, but there's an Australian import which I had, which is what I watched the next movie on. But it also includes the Quatermass. Okay. Kind of. There's two more to this. This is the first of a series that we'll be covering. Uh, there's Quatermass Two, made by the same director, and then there's the Quatermass in the Pit, which is later, later, and it finishes out the series. So we got those to look forward to, but I think it follows this, all this Dr. Cratermass doing his terrible experiments. And it ends on a kind of a, a weird note where he's just walking into like the blackened streets like, I will continue my experiments. Like learning absolutely nothing about his mistakes. That doesn't make it like another rocket taking off. I, I think so. Yeah, okay. yeah. 
I guess that could segue into the next one. Sort of. Let's hop it. We'll, we'll, we'll show the trailer for Equator Message. Okay. Here. can't escape it. Mackie, look! Nothing can destroy it. It's coming for you from space to wipe all living things from the face of the Earth. Beware of the creeping unknown. This woman is about to learn a terrible secret. She will never be the same again. Because this man knows that same secret, he will never speak again. To both of them has come terror in the form of the creeping unknown. Three men went into outer space. Only one of them came back. Came back a strange, distorted creature, haunted and possessed by something beyond human understanding. What was the terrible secret he could not tell them? There's a whole new world out there, a wilderness, uncharted. And he's been there and come back. He's got the map. Unlock his mind for me, Briscoe, and find it. I know you can do it. It isn't just a question I know the strain and tension you've been under, but to stop now when we're so close... Brian Donlevy, he dared an experiment that shocked a nation. You've destroyed him like you've destroyed everything else you've touched, Kent. There's no room for personal feelings in science, Judith. An experiment that created the Creeping Unknown. I want to call around the entire area, evacuate all public, get information to check up every movement that's likely to take place inside this radius tonight. Yes, sir. Warn everyone not to touch anything unusual they may find in the streets. Okay, the next one is X the Unknown. This is the next release. And originally this was started out uh, being produced as a sequel to the Quatermass Experiment. And I'm not sure what went wrong. Maybe it was uh, too unrelated. Maybe the actor who was going to play Quatermass or the character Quatermass, they didn't want to put him in the script. So they were like, we're not going to do this as a sequel. So regardless, X the Unknown... Uh, a hole cracks in the middle of, I don't know, it's, is it America? It feels like America. Yeah, but I, I think it's it's still UK because Scotland Yard is involved. Yes, you're right. Yeah. A hole cracks. It's an X-shaped hole. Is that why mm-hmm. they call it X the Unknown? They don't know why it cracks. And uh, they're, they're getting some radioactive signals from it. Actually, the way they realize it's radioactive is pretty cool. They're doing some radioactive experiments out there with the, um, the Geiger reader. And uh, then all of a sudden they get all these readings that aren't supposed to be there. And it cracks open and voila. Eventually yeah. something comes out of this. But we have a bunch of scientists and uh, nuclear engineers and stuff involved. And the town's kind of blaming the one guy because I don't even know why. Just because they're scared of science or something. Are they blaming the... There's a doctor and there's a scientist. Scientist. Yeah. They're blaming him. Yeah. So eventually what happens is um, this blob-like creature crawls out of the, the uh, hole and goes on to inspire the blob and Keltiki, the immortal monster, among anything that was just a... It, it literally is the blob. The blob ripped this movie off big time. Oh, yeah. Although I think the, the blob eats indiscriminately, and this guy, he's, he just wants radiation. 
Yeah, this guy, this uh, blob creature <coughs> sucks energy force, while the blob in the 58 movie uh, eats organic matter. Yeah. Anything organic, I believe, is what the blob does. And he gets bigger. This thing also gets bigger, I believe. It keeps growing. The blob is extraterrestrial, right? In the original, it is. And in this one, it's always been here? I'm not sure where exactly it comes from. It's radioactive, right? Is it man's fault, or was it in the core of the Earth that came out and started to live off the radiation and grow? I, I think it was more like the way that the scientists explained it in his whole like hypothesis thing was like, you know, it receded into the Earth after like some sort of catastrophe, dinosaurs or whatnot, and you know, it comes out every now and then to get radiation. It's like, oh well, there's no radiation here. But well, now that man's entered the radioactive age, there's radiation in regular supply, so it's like, oh, I can actually survive and thrive out here. So they so. were saying, like, radiation originally, because, like, when the Earth was forming in space, yeah. everything, it was alive and yeah. could thrive, and then when it was going away, it kind of hibernated like the thing did in the um, um, John Carpenter's thing in 1980, where it was like, I'm going to freeze, you know, I, I have no nothing to live, I'm going to crawl into the snow and freeze and hope mm-hmm. for somebody to come find me later. Right, yeah. So that's, I guess, what this thing did, and it just kind of eats and eats and eats. I don't even remember how they stopped the damn thing. I don't want to spoil it, but I can't remember. Oh, I remember. Uh, the the characters in this one are a little bit more likable. Even the asshole um, at the end kind of realizes his mistake, and he's like, oh, okay, let's get, let's take care of this. <laughs> it's like a lot of these old movies or nowadays movies, you'll show the uh, guy who's like, the, uh, I guess, antagonist somewhat, mm-hmm. that he's wrong, and you'll show him evidence, and he'll still be like, no, that's bullcrap. In this, he's like, oh, okay. It makes sense. I feel like old movies just were more practical in that way. Like, yeah. Like showing an atheist, if they hear the seven horns or something, and a bunch of, our, like, <laughs> before a horseman of apocalypse come down. Mm-hmm. You're gonna know, like, oh, I made a mistake. You know, or vice versa. It's just like... Now, in the nowadays movies, people are so stubborn. Like, even if they show them evidence of, like, a zombie rising, getting shot in the head, or anything, they'll be like, it's not that! <laughs> but, this one, they're just straightforward for it. I enjoyed that. You like this one more than me. I prefer Crater Mass, so. I, you know, I don't know which one I prefer. They, they are very similar movies. Um, Crater Mass and whatever this guy's name is, I forget. X the Unknown. I don't know. He's the X the Unknown. No, no, but Doctor. Oh, this Doctor's much more likable. He's much more likable. And he's a good-natured, and he's not really responsible for anything that went wrong. Right, and like it, when you look at like how Quatermass was as, was was behaving, um, there's a scene in this one in X the Unknown. Quatermass was all like, you know, it's for science's sake, you know, I'm yes. doing this. And he kept like defending his actions. Right, like, like nah, we're just going to shoot it back off into space again. We gotta <laughs> know what happened. But, but, but in this one... Um, uh, something happens to some of the town folk and, like, uh, one of the villagers is like, you know, oh, this is all your fault, scientist, you know, he's a doctor, he helps people, you just kind of mess shit up for no reason. And he's kind of like, well, not really, but I I, I see where you're coming from. The one thing I forgot to mention about Quatermass was the surprise gore. Yeah. People get... Like absorbed, and this and Exion known too. They, mm-hmm. they, I remember both these movies being gorier. They melt. There's melts and people getting absorbed by mm-hmm. the creature, and that was really kind of interesting to see. I know they cut away a little too quick, but it's best not to dwell on those things. Sometimes, oh yeah, you start to see the seams. But pretty decent effects in both the movies, and mm-hmm. way ahead of their time. I imagine that they were pretty ridiculed for the gore and stuff. I, I could see that. Yeah, I, again, this one also feels American. 50 American fifty sci-fi. sci-fi. Yeah, like. 
you know, this and even the last one, like, it's like, this is what Earthbound's based off, isn't it? Like, isn't this the plot to everything well, 50s related? The one thing that's kind of surprising is you would think that America was pushing the boundaries on the American science fiction and gore. Mm-hmm. But it looks like the Britain, the Brits did it first in 55, 56, because I'm trying to think of other ones like them, and I know Godzilla's Japanese. I don't remember any plot or anything in those movies. Well, like, it just seems weird, though, because, like, when I think UK, I don't think science experiments. I don't, I don't get that feeling. No. I mean, you know, America is, when I think of, like, America in this time frame, you know, they're the jet age, they're the... the space race. The space race, the, the, the nuclear bomb, and then, like, UK's over here, like, yeah, we're, st- we're, we're still doing our thing. I think these are based off books. Well, the first one, Quatermass, is are based off author, I, or play, like I said. I know the play. Because Carpenter was mentioning that he wasn't particularly easiest guy to work with. Right. Because he complained about the acting and what, I thought Quatermass was a good actor. That guy played, oh, I thought he was, thought he was probably too. one of the better ones. And the series, none of the acting's bad at all. No, and and uh, the doctor in, in this one, I, I wish I remembered his name in um, X the Unknown. I really liked him. I thought yeah. he was an amazing, yeah, actor. Um, lots of coat grabbing in this movie. <laughs> I think the, the end of every scene, the doctor just puts on his coat, and it's like, and then it fades to the next scene. Well, you know what? Also, I like about old movies is the leads aren't just kids. Yeah, teens like. Right, and even even in science fiction movies, somehow like Deadly Spawn, like they'll be like college aged. Like I love the Deadly Spawn, but it's mm-hmm. like even the the main people in Deadly Spawn are figuring out all the alien stuff, or still like twenty. Like oh, biology, they're cutting it up and stuff. It's like this is like thirty five year old, forty five year old guy stuff. These like mid age people usually are doing this stuff. I, I think that's that might be more like a thing in like the seventies and like eighties well, when it was more like into the eighties, big time. Yeah, like like maybe like. I don't want to say sex sells, but... Slasher movies. But, yeah, you know, it, it like, you get with some attractive-looking people. Yeah, it came and... with that frame. But those are great, too. Yeah. It's just different time. I like it all, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's just fun to see how Hammer started. I know there's other stuff before this. There was mystery movies and whatnot and other things, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but it's nice to see kind of the horror roots. They're starting in sci-fi, which I believe a lot of horror, horror stuff does start in sci-fi. Night Let Me Dead, I feel, has that sci-fi kind of Definitely. start with the, the satellite and everything. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel that a lot of horror that people like, or modern horror, or in this time frame, was spawned from sci-fi. That's why I always put sci-fi and horror together. Like, mm-hmm. it's like genre movies. And exploitation movies in that same kind of deal, because a lot of it's fantastical. In other countries, they don't have those kind of categories like that. Like, was that documentary about Greece, uh, Greek horror films? Yeah. It's like, there's four different, there's like, they put film noir, they put mm-hmm. horror, they put supernatural, and they put something else in their sci-fi. And they're like, these are all the same, these are all genre movies. They all lump right. together. It's mm-hmm. just like, yeah. I guess they're like suspense movies. Or suspense, anything. yeah. yeah. But, um, what you're talking about, like, how we don't make movies like this anymore, and I, I don't think you can anymore. I think that... Audience members ask too many questions, or they pick apart the parts too much. You know what I mean. And so you can't. Maybe it's, maybe we have a better understanding, or some working understanding of how things work now. That it we we, we can't just get away with like oh it just eats everything and becomes this thing. Like I don't think it would work for an audience. Well, do you I, think? I ask questions like I always constantly think about like the thing. The thing's mm-hmm. the one, the Carpenter's thing, I'm like, does the thing know he's the thing until he's attacked? Yeah. Like, I don't think he does. Because mm-hmm. Norris, it assimilated Norris, who had a heart attack, because he had a weak heart, it assimilated the weak heart, and Norris had a heart attack, 
But does the thing know he's a thing until he's actually attacked and has to defend himself? Is there something inside of it that triggers? Like, because when Palmer gets his blood drawn and it zaps out of like the the the, the little tray, mm-hmm. does the thing like then let itself be known, or it has to be conscious that it's conscious of it being the thing? Because it has to be deceitful. But sometimes it maybe it doesn't. I don't understand. And that's like the things that are questioning it all the time, and it's scary. Mm-hmm. Well, I I mean like from a from a viewer's standpoint, people like to pick apart plots. They like to... Well, this wouldn't work because that's not how these things actually behave in the real world. Yes, but and also... I, I know I'm guilty of that because I, I do that to a lot of things. These movies played in a theater or on television or something. Right. Like once, twice. You never, mm-hmm. you saw it once, you didn't have time to think about it. It right. wasn't like there was going to... They didn't think there'd be a million people like sitting mm-hmm. there critiquing every little detail. Oh, yeah. And people were like, that mustache looks so fake in Sleepaway Camp. It's like they didn't know it was going to be in HD so everybody could watch it a hundred times over. They saw it in the theater once, maybe they thought it looked fake and they forgot about it. Right. You know, well, like, you know, look at how, how many people... People like pick apart some like the Disney movies, like yeah. you know, oh the the Beast was cursed when he was only eleven. Like who does that to a small? I think people people do that, and whether it's intentional or unintentional, I think that things like that limit these types of movies or movies made in this kind of spirit but from being sa- made. But at the same time, like sometimes I know it's hard to suspend your disbelief, but something like Beauty and the Beast, like who would do that to an eleven year old? Why is there a talking candlestick? Yeah. Just shut up. <laughs> like, at certain things. I can. That's why serious movies with realistic things that have mm-hmm. potholes drive me nuts. Or movies right. that want to be taken seriously have potholes drives me nuts. But if I turn on Killer Clouds from Outer Space or Garbage Pail Kids or something silly... You have to suspend I don't care. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter as much. I do will point out plot holes, but I won't get angry about them. But if I put in something like... I don't want to use a... Like, let's say, not, I'm not saying Heat has plot holes, but let's say I put in a movie like Heat, and there's a bunch of plot holes, and people are acting really weird. I'll get annoyed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I guess maybe maybe it depends on what the movie is trying to function as. These are good movies to watch on your own with a group of people. Um, I'm kind of excited for the next... Well, no. Quatermass? We're watching Quatermass 2 and Abominable Snowman next. I'm excited for Quatermass 2. I don't care about the Abominable Snowman. It's got Peter Cushing in it. The Abominable Snowman? Yeah. He better play the Abominable Snowman. He doesn't. Oh. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed the <laughs> first of the Hammer views, uh, Hammer reviews. Hammer time! Would you call it, like, bringing down the hammer? I realize my head was popping in your frame sometimes. I am not going to crop that. Bringing down the hammer? Yeah. Like a gavel, like a judge. Just to give you guys the heads up, I reviewed some Hammer movies previously in the past few years on the uh, weekly show, so those won't be covered, like Scream of Fear, and I probably won't be covering the Hammer House of Horror series. I posted on the uh, my Patreon site, It's all it's, anybody can see it, uh, all the movies we will be covering throughout the week, so if you want to keep up and catch up. And it's a perfect time to do it, because I had this plan for like four, five, six months, and now I love it that uh, Scream and all these other companies are releasing these on Blu-ray and yeah. Safeside so I can pick them up and watch them in HD because I have that big hammer set. Uh, there's a couple I probably won't be able to watch in HD, but, you know, uh, I know Quatermass 2 is getting released. won't be out before I have to watch it. So, But uh, I actually had uh, this UK, uh, I meant Australian import of the Quatermass experiment, even though I had the Kino disc, just because on the bonus features in Standard Def, it had Quatermass 2 and X the Unknown as bonus features. That's the one we watched. Yeah, so I think that's okay. great if you, if you want those movies, because X the Unknown, uh, I think the American DVD and British DVD are both out of print and pretty expensive. So 
I much prefer Dexion over Cater Mask. Quater Mask. Quater. 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 You prefer Quater. Um, so I, if you want to rate them, I, I think I would give Quater Mask three and a half, maybe four out of five. Or let's go, let's go seven point two five on Quater Mask, or seven and a half, and I'll give six and a half for uh, X the Unknown. Out of a five scale for each, I, I'd rate them. Ten? Ten. Six for both. Six. Yeah? Yeah. That's solid. I might go six for X the Unknown. Is Horror Express, is that Hammer? No. I, you know, it's funny. Somebody brought that, that up on a podcast I was listening to. They thought it was a Hammer movie. Yeah. It's not. It's a Spanish movie. It's a Spanish movie. Okay. Yeah. And that's in the same vein as this one. These ones are. In a way. In a way. Yeah, I would agree. I don't think Telly Savalas ever was in a Hammer movie. But we'll find out. Yeah, we're, we're going to see him. He's in, no, he's not in any. He's we're going in, to see him. He's in European horror. I movies. want my money back. Okay. He runs as though the devil himself is in pursuit, and well he might, for he saw what no man has ever seen before. The man on the main gate had it just like the others. It's coming in on the west side. Look! There it is on the roof! Three experts in science and security need a band of men who try to find a way to exterminate X, the unknown terror. Only to find a tunnel of fear from which there is no escape. Dean Jagger as Professor Royston, top secret scientist. Edward Chapman, Elliot, in charge of lab operations. Leo McKern, Inspector McGill, Security Officer. Okay, guys, the next one is the Pick-A-Movie, and it was by Peter Engelin, and he picked an Aussie classic that I've wanted to watch for years, Wake and Fright, starring the legendary, the one and only, one of the greatest British actors of all time, Donald Pleasance. Okay, man, I had heard about this movie before. I've heard about um, Elric Kane talk about it a bunch on Pure Cinema Podcast and Shockwave's Podcast. I heard the boys over at the 22 Shots and Moods and Horror talk about it. It's been on my radar for a long time. I've had the disc. I've had the old era import from uh, Australia disc even before I had the Alamo Drafthouse disc. But uh, Wake and Fright, uh, early 70s, Australian movie. And this is this is a weird, one-of-a-kind movie. A lot of people categorize it as a horror movie, and there's definitely dread. There's definitely... Uh, impending doom or just feeling like you're stuck feeling like you're stuck and uh a lot of things brought up about masculinity and 
homosexuality and stuff like that, like closet homosexuality and alcoholism and just a strange movie. You can feel the heat in this movie. It is so blistering hot that you just want to take a shower. And I'm like, thank God I don't live in Australia. I do not want to go to Australia at all, ever after seeing this movie. But we have this school teacher who kind of feels like he's above. He's kind of snarky. He teaches in this kind of isolated area and he wants to on uh you know vacation during Christmas go back to Sydney to meet his girlfriend and you know kind of relax and then come back and get taught. He feels trapped. It's kind of like um uh, indentured servitude, I guess you'll say, because you have to pay uh, $600 or something like that if you break your teacher contract and leave, and he cannot afford that. So he ends up staying at this small little town, Yaba Town. Everybody loves Yaba there. And he is uh, introduced to this, uh, the sheriff called Jock, and Jock buys him a couple drinks. He's very friendly, overly friendly. Everybody in here is overly friendly. They teach him how to play this gambling game. He gets hooked on it, loses all, he gains a bunch of money, then loses all his money. And then after that, it's pretty much downhill. He hooks up with this guy named Don. Donald, uh, Donald Pleasant's character called Doc, who is a uh, eccentric, and they keep him around because he knows medicine. But everybody, everybody around here is eccentric. They drink, they beat each other up, they laugh, they enjoy it. But Doc is even more eccentric than that. And he stays with them a couple times, and it just uh you guys ever like drink too much and wake up and not know what happened and just immediately regret your decisions? Times that by a million. And that's what you get in Wake and Fright, where you're just like, I don't know what happened last night, and I don't want to be alive, and I don't want to know. I have vague memories of horrible things, and these horrible things are going to haunt me for the rest of my life. That's Wake and Fright. But, uh, you know, it's just insane. It is it, guzzling beer, and the flies, and the heat, and the eating, and there's a really nasty hunting scene that they went along on a trip because they were filming anyways, and you witness kangaroos be gunned down. It is miserably... It's miserable. It's misery. Just watching it is misery. It's not enjoyable. It's not supposed to be. It's uh, dark and kind of uh, disgusting. But it's interesting to watch this character who is this kind of snobby guy. And, you know, I'm better than this. I'm going to Sydney. I'm not, you know, be kind of overtaken by the hospitality of Yaba and become one of them and embrace it. But at the same time, hate it because he thinks he's better than it despise him despise it despise himself everything but uh it's kind of funny how it ends i don't want to spoil too much i probably already have but very well acted and the thing about donald pleasance is donald pleasance is always doing a performance like if you see him just in the background of a scene he's always doing something he's not him and you know like i watch so many a lot of donald pleasance movies from the great escape to phenomenon to halloween to all the british horror movies he pops up in um he never is the same character twice very easily could he have done the same character twice you know like he could have just been like, well, I'm going to play the same doctor I played in Alone in the Dark or Good Luck Miss Wyckoff in Halloween and vice versa in Phenomenon, but he doesn't. There's always something a little different about each character and they're always such a performance and uh, there's lots of great images in this movie, especially the one on the back with the coins. Those coins are the heads and tails, how they determine the gambling game they play, but um, just a great movie. Uh, <laughs> pretty, pretty disturbing in a lot of ways, but um, well worth your time. Yes. Staying long? Yeah, just tonight. Oh, that's hard luck. Want to see a bit more of the yabba than that.
Progress, a vanity spawned by fear. A vanity spawned by fear. Okay, guys, let's get into the pick a movie drawing. What do we got here? The names are getting low, so I know that Chris Leppard's going next, and he chose. Uh, do you guys want a surprise? I'll let it be a surprise, but we only got a few names left. And then we got to go to the second bag, and then it's over. So I got one here. Who I got? Front desk Matt. Actually, a good friend of mine, Matthew Hudson. Let's see what he wants. I know what movie he wants me to cover, but let's see. Maybe he'll come on the show and review it because he is a friend of mine. That would be pretty cool, don't you guys think? Uh, if you guys don't know Matt, Matt popped up in uh, you know Slimy Little Bastards and Halloween Spookies and a couple Dustin Mills movies that aren't released yet. But uh, you know what? Right now I'm going to draw the Patreon. Um, let me grab this here. Reaching over, reaching over. This is for the Patreon pick guys in April. This is Prime Cut, uh, brand new Blu-ray from Kino. I'm drawing for the Patreon people. I'll have another prize coming for uh, May soon. But I just had so much to do, I didn't get a chance. Who won this one? Oh, I just dropped it. I lost it. There it is. It is the 22 shots. So if any of you guys, uh, I don't know, to work it out between you guys, Jeremy Moods and JP, who wants Prime Cut? You guys can argue. You can kill each other over it. It's up to you guys. I'll put you back in a bag because you guys are going to stay. So, yep, I guess we're going to hop into some of the questions. Let me get to this. Okay. Don't want to mess up the sound, but okay, we got questions. Um, Nick Moo, are you excited at all for about It Chapter 2? How do you feel about the gay storyline being included? Um, I am kind of excited for it. I didn't. I don't know the gay storyline in It. I read half the book years ago, and I remember enjoying the book, but it, it would be one of these books that's really hot and cold, and I got a cold spot, and I didn't finish it. I don't remember. Um, Eddie would be the homosexual character, I think, right? He's gay? I don't remember. Um, but if it's in the book, they should probably try to include it, because they didn't do it last time, I don't think, so why not? I mean, if it works, it works. I mean... I just want a good movie. Um, some time ago, you did a giveaway of The Reflecting Skin. Did you actually see it? Uh, is it at all good? Saw Philip Bradley's other film, Heartless. Enjoyed the hell out of it. Yeah, The Reflecting Skin is a masterpiece. That's a great movie. Um, I would recommend checking it out for sure. It's one. Of, it's, it, I, I've seen that and Heartless, and I really enjoy Heartless, but Reflecting Skin, I think, is even better. And uh, It's just such a weird nightmare fuel movie that's just so disturbing and underrated for sure. Great stuff. 
Um, and Peter Engelin, question, what was your first Hammer movie experience? You know what? The first Hammer movie experience, I think, was uh, my grandpa used to record a bunch of movies, and he'd bring down a bunch of tapes, and there was one with, like, Draculas on it, but it wasn't Universal Draculas. It was, like, the Hammer Draculas, and I there's, like, nine Hammer Dracula movies or in that series and tons of other Hammer Vampire movies, and I didn't know which one it was, but I believe it was Dracula Prince of Darkness because I remember Ice. I remember Dracula and Ice. It's got to be that one. I was, I've seen that one before, more modern, and I also really recently heard somebody else talking about it on the podcast and yeah that's definitely i remember the castle i remember the ice and i that had to be my first experience with it because i was very young like six seven eight that age answers okay last time i asked what was everybody's favorite hammer horror movie so uh jonathan Wilhelm, favorite hammer film would be sledgehammer from the sov days I kid, I kid. All right. Definitely The Curse of the Werewolf, Oliver Reed's film debut. Frankenstein Created Women and The Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires. Oop, I messed up. He has a question here, too. I do have a question for you. What is your favorite CGI Aladdin creature feature? Okay, um, I love Curse of the Werewolf. I think Oliver Reed's tremendous in that. Never seen Frankenstein Created Women and Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires is boss. But uh, what is my favorite CGI Aladdin creature feature? There's some CGI in Hellboy, right? That's pretty fun. No problems with Hellboy. It's got to be one of the bigger uh, kind of movies like that. I'm trying to think. Uh, Deep Blue Sea, there's some CGI in that one, and I enjoy it. Uh, I'm just naming some ones I know of CGI that's probably not great, but I enjoy it. Deep Blue Sea is probably it. Uh, Nick Mua, ah, Hammer Horror. I'll love till my dying day, longer if I'm raised from the dead. In the beginning, they had such flair-inspired true dread. Then they lost their way. Recently, they turned out some decent films, though. My favorite, Vampire Circus. It fascinates me, but also makes me shudder. That creepy count, Midorhas, and the pedo uh, vampire, sheesh. Yeah, Vampire Circus is probably one of my favorites, too, if not my favorite. I've seen that one multiple times, and that is super creepy. Um, I also like the re-imaging uh, or reimagining of The Mummy with my man, Sir Christopher Lee. And The Woman in Black. Excellent stuff. Ilk Vomit, favorite Hammer film? I mean, it's easy to just go ahead and say Horror of Dracula for me because I absolutely love that movie, but I think I'm going to have to go with Twins of Evil. That movie, for me, is just a perfect gem. It has classy, sleazy vibe that just sucks me in all the time. It sucks that when the movie was released, Hammer was sort of dying out. It makes me wish and wonder what kind of awesome stuff the studio would have been releasing towards the mid-70s and especially the 80s. Hammer films in the 80s would have been something I would have loved to see. You know, I think that the American, like, 70s horror films, drive-in horror films really killed Hammer with, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Last House on the Left. It's just, like, those fun gothic movies just couldn't hold the hold it anymore for American audience and I know they're not the only audience but people wanted something more extreme maybe I don't know realism um, Vampire Rose Viper Rose 1978 favorite Hammer film Dracula AD 1972 the coolest track ever plus a super funky soundtrack I have seen that one as well uh, favorite scary movie I might just have a soft spot for it because it was the first Hammer oh yeah that's the guy's name favorite scary movie uh, I might just have a soft spot for it because it was my first Hammer film I saw but I really enjoyed Scream of Fear aka Taste of Fear it's about a woman who's having visions of her dead father and i remember the visions being surprisingly creepy and memorable there are also a few twists which are a little predictable but still satisfying definitely recommend that one i think i actually reviewed that one and i do think i enjoyed that one cc95 favorite hammer no question captain chronos it kills me that brian clemens never got to make it a series of films like he wanted to do i have seen captain chronos and it's been so long i barely remember a lot about it peter england favorite hammer horror flick since you're planning to do hammer year here's my top six hammer movies horror of dracula Captain Kronos, The Devil Rides Out, Quatermass in a Pit, Scars of Dracula, Twins of Evil.
I've seen all those except the... I don't remember if I saw Devil Rides Out. I might have. And I haven't seen Quatermass in a Pit. So yeah, that's great. Um, I guess I'm going to ask you guys the question of the week. And the question of the week is, what crossover or versus fight would you like to see in a movie? What crossover or versus film would you want to see? And get creative with it. Uh, get weird with it. Like, think about all the possibilities. Like, who wouldn't want to see? I know it's not historically accurate or even one's a fiction and one's fact or one's historical, you know, based on historical events. Um, why not have Wyatt Earp go against the Wild Bunch? Stuff like that. Just think of wild, crazy mix-ups or just your versus fights. Like, I want to see some mix-up, mash-up weird stuff, you know? The Dirty Dozen and Kelly's Heroes. I don't know anything. Just get weird with it, guys. What are some mashup movies you'd like to see or some verses in a film? And, of course, I would have loved to see The Wolfman versus a Creature from the Black Lagoon. Or The Mummy versus Frankenstein's Monster. That kind of stuff it just goes with it. And there was a Frankenstein versus The Mummy made. And there was a um, Werewolf versus Blood Creature Blood Cove. So I haven't seen that latter one, but I've seen the first one. So they kind of made those. But I guess we're going to hop into the update. Okay, super quick update. Only a couple titles. We have Nashville Girl from... Uh, I got this from the Ronin Flicks. Is this a Scorpion or a Code Red? I believe it is a Scorpion film. You know, exploitation. I like it. Not seen it. Interested in checking it out. And then we have a classic. It went on sale on Amazon. One Flew Over to Cuckoo's Nest. This is one of the best movies of the 70s and one of the best movies in general. I love this movie. Uh, it's one of my favorites. Um, I remember reading the book. I like the movie so much. Just a great cast. Jack Nicholson, Will Sampson, Christopher Lloyd, Louise Fletcher, Danny DeVito, um, geez, um, Vincent Chiavelli, top-notch cast, um, Scatman Crothers, top a top-notch movie. One of the best ever. Obviously, look, I mean, winner of 1975, five Academy Awards of 1975. That's a competitive decade right there. So, yeah, great movie. It's a nice little hard box thing. Same as Outlaw Josie Wales. So, yep, can't wait to rewatch this one. All right, guys, thank you very much for watching. And as always, you guys have a good one. Mm.